Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I'm Erica Carbajal, editor at Becker's Hospital Review, and I'm pleased to be our guest today for a discussion on driving stronger outcomes through inclusive cardiometabolic management. Before we get started, I'd like to briefly introduce our speakers joining us from Vita Health. We have Laura Isaacson, Manager of Cardiometabolic Care, and Dr. Richard Frank, Chief Medical Officer. Laura and Dr. Frank, thanks again for being here today. Thank thanks you so for much having for having us. having us. Absolutely. So go ahead and get started here. First off, what are some of the most significant barriers that are impacting underserved communities from proper cardiometabolic care? So why don't I get started, but I, I think that Laura has some thoughts as well. You know, when we think about cardiometabolic care, just to clarify for the audience, we're really talking about patients who might have prediabetes, diabetes, congestive heart failure, coronary artery disease, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. And so as you can imagine, these are chronic disease states that require not only really excellent primary care to manage them day to day, but also specialty care and really disease management to help patients manage these conditions over the long haul. And if you start to think about that kind of delivery system, primary care, specialty care, disease management, and then you think about some of the challenges that various communities struggle with in accessing healthcare, you realize that there are really significant underserved populations in the United States. People who live in rural areas, the elderly, individuals with low health literacy, uh, populations that might be economically disenfranchised. And then of course, there are minorities in various job categories that cross those domains of challenges around accessing healthcare. And it's those communities that suffer from aging infrastructure, economic disinvestment, workforce shortages, all of these play out as patients with chronic cardiometabolic disease not being able to access healthcare. And sort of if you take into account that this is uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, and you think about those populations, 37% of Hispanic Americans and 40% of Black Americans live in food, in, in food deserts. More than one in 10 Americans live in transit des deserts where they can't get access to adequate transportation. And then if you look at uh, populations of color, 70% 70 70 are more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes than white Americans. People of color are 20% more likely to be diagnosed with obesity than white Americans. 30% more likely to die from diabetes than white Americans. So we have populations all over the United States that struggle to manage their cardiometabolic disease and access adequate healthcare. Laura, did you have some thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, one thing I wanted to point out and kind of dive a little deeper into is rural uh, Americans. We know that rural populations do experience significant health disparities. And this is important because 46 million Americans do live in a rural area. These Americans tend to be older and they do tend to be less healthy. And so why is that? Why, why are we seeing these health disparities in rural America? Part of it, um, there's some significant risk factors for having a lack of access to healthcare. One is geographic isolation. As Richard had said, people living in a transportation desert, or even if people do have access to transportation, they may have to drive quite a long distance to get to 
a primary care provider, and even further to get to a specialist like an endocrinologist or cardiologist. Um, and so that, that driving long distance, it can be very expensive filling up their gas tank. And so getting access to healthcare can be a, a huge barrier. We also know that people living in rural areas tend to have lower socioeconomic status and limited job opportunities. And for the jobs that are available, they may not uh, be with employers that provide health care or health insurance. Uh, limited access to health care is a huge barrier. And that's one area where a virtual solution can help because we can bring those specialists, endocrinologists, dietitians, certified diabetes care and education specialists right to the person and they don't have to drive those long distances when they may not have transportation or may not be able to fill up their their uh, car with gas. And it's really, this is where VITA as a virtual cardiometabolic integrated behavioral health solution really delivers value to these populations that struggle to access healthcare because we are available 24 seven, 365 through both synchronous and asynchronous communication and we can really enhance the patient's care team and its effectiveness by providing this, these virtual wraparound disease management services. Absolutely. Sounds like, you know, there are so many populations who, who don't have adequate access to primary care that, you know, you both mentioned is really critical to, to managing chronic diseases. So uh, you started to touch on, on some of this, but can you expand on some of the ways that a provider like Vita could really drive inclusivity and personalization in developing a member's care journey? Absolutely. So I would I would love to talk about that. I am a dietitian, a certified diabetes care and education specialist. So I am a provider and I meet with members and I really understand some of the barriers that exist. One way that Vita addresses this is by using motivational interviewing, which is an evidence-based approach to behavior change. That's one way that we are really able to drive best-in-class outcomes. All of our providers have been trained in motivational interviewing, and this is really a way to partner with our members and take into account their unique circumstances in a non-judgmental way and able to work with them to overcome barriers such as where they access food. We work with people that are getting food from a dollar store or a food pantry, or if they live in a food desert or a transportation desert, they may live 30 miles or more from the nearest supermarket. And so they're needing to go to the corner gas station or convenience store to get food. It doesn't always have the, the healthiest options. So we take all of these things into account and help people. We take into account their situation and set them up for success. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on, considering that it is Hispanic Heritage Month, and we do have people working with us who speak Spanish. We have uh, Spanish-speaking providers. So we are able to, to uh, meet with people and, and speak to them in Spanish. But the other thing that's really important to note is that our app is culturally adapted into Spanish. That's not just being, not just translating, it's actually culturally adapted. And so all of the content takes into account specific needs for the Hispanic culture. Our providers are also trained to provide culturally competent care. So an example I'll give you here is I've met with people of Hispanic uh, heritage who say things like, you know, my, my doctor told me I can't ever eat tortillas again. They have too much carbohydrate. 
that's really not honoring somebody's culture, their background, their traditions, um, or their preferences. And so the approach we take here at Vita is to honor those things and to work with people to personalize their plans. And, and have the plan be unique to them. And so an approach that I've taken in that situation is I've said, I know that this food is important to you. How can we incorporate it in? Let's talk about portion sizes. Let's talk about finding balance. But we, we really want to honor people's beliefs and traditions. Uh, something else that, you know, comes up with people living in a rural community or people uh, living in an area that may be unsafe is when we talk about physical activity, they might not have sidewalks. They might live in a neighborhood where it's not safe to walk. They may not be able to afford a gym. And so we, instead of just saying, you know, walk 20 minutes a day or, or go to your local gym, we talk with them and, and find ways that will work for them to be more physically active because we know that both following um, a balanced diet and including physical activity are both important for addressing cardiometabolic care. So, you know, the bottom line here is we really get to know our members, we listen to them, and we use their existing ecosystem to set them up for success. And, and you know, we don't have a cookie cutter approach. It's really personalizing for that particular person. And this personalization is really how disease management has changed over the last two decades. If you think back to disease management programs in the 90s and early 2000s, the approach was simply to give a patient clinical information, how to manage your diabetes, how to manage your blood pressure, how to manage your weight, with the, and it was all generic. It, it wasn't adapted to the individual in any way. Frequently, it was mailers. And the assumption was that if the patient had that information, they would simply adopt uh, healthy behaviors. And what Laura just went through is all of the effort we make to build a sustainable, deep therapeutic relationship between the VITA providers, human beings, who interact directly with VITA patients and build this relationship so that we understand what's important to the patient and we help the patient achieve their clinical goals. And that's what ultimately leads to the sustainable outcomes. Well, it's great to hear about, about the provider trainings and all the different ways that you know, Vita's prioritizing personalization and patient's culture so, you know, that they can, can still enjoy the things that are important to them. And that leads me to my next question here, which is, is it possible to achieve success in cardiometabolic management without some of these bad diets that we're seeing now, like keto? It absolutely is. And that's really what we're all about. Uh, we want to set somebody up to be successful. Keto is not realistic or sustainable for many people. A keto diet is, is high in protein and those foods tend to be more expensive. So for the people that we just talked about, lower socioeconomic status, food insecurity, maybe living in a food desert, um, keto is just not realistic. Uh, people shopping at a dollar store or, a food, or getting their food from a food pantry, it's, it would be very difficult to follow that type of diet and in nearly impossible to sustain. And so we want to set people to, up to be successful. So for many, that's not setting them up to be successful. We also want to honor people's, you know, their personal food choices and their beliefs around food. And for many, you know, a keto diet just isn't something that they would even want to follow. So we, for our Hispanic culture, for example, that tends to be a very 
higher carbohydrate diet. Um, some of the foods that are in traditional Hispanic cuisine tend to be things like beans, rice, tortillas. And, and so a keto diet really eliminates a lot of those foods that are important to that entire culture. And so what we do is personalize and individualize. We don't do anything cookie cutter at all. And we talk with people, okay, these foods are important to you. How can we include them? How can we maybe tailor what you're already doing, but find a plan that is going to work for you because we want people to be successful. And with weight loss, or reducing cardiometabolic risk factors, improving blood sugars. We want to have um, success and outcomes that are long-term. So really the key to that is finding something that is uh, sustainable for that person. Uh, the key here is personalizing to that member across the entire spectrum of both socioeconomic status and cultures. Now, Dr. Franken, Laura, you mentioned, you know, findings that are long-term and sustainable. So what does all this mean in terms of outcomes? Have you seen consistency across members? So we see uh, dramatic sustainable outcomes that are both clinically and financially relevant both to our patients as well as to our sponsors, that is either health plans or providers or employers who would be engaging VITA. And the kind of clinical outcomes that we see are impactful. And this too differs from the kinds of outcomes you would have seen in the early 2000s. Uh, Medicare did a huge demonstration project around care coordination and disease management in the early to late 2000s and really found that disease management did not deliver meaningful outcomes. And for those few demonstration projects where Medicare did see meaningful outcomes, they weren't financially sustainable because the cost of the program exceeded the value. So what did we learn from that? We learned that disease management had to be impactful. It had to be sustainable. Both of these laws really spoken to, but it also had to be scalable, which is the virtual model that we've developed, which is both asynchronous and synchronous communication. So when we see our clinical outcomes, we focus very much on goal-directed therapies, impactful interventions that we will know that we know drive meaningful clinical outcomes, and those clinical outcomes relate to financial savings. What's the most critical clinical outcome in diabetes? It's glucose, blood sugar, time, and range, which translates to hemoglobin A1Cs. And we have some of the largest published databases uh, in the United States around these outcomes for patients who come to Vita and have a hemoglobin A1C greater than nine, we see a reduction at six months of close to two percentage points in their hemoglobin A1C, two-point two reduction in hemoglobin A1C. For those populations that have greater than 1.4 hemoglobin A1C, uh, uh, greater than eight hemoglobin A1C at baseline, we see a reduction of 1.4. We see sustainable weight loss reduction of 7%, depending on the population. We also see that we have a statistically significant reduction in the conversion of prediabetes to diabetes. We see improvements in the control of high blood pressure, and we see improvements in self-reported uh, incidents of depression and anxiety. So these are the kinds of clinical outcomes that ultimately lead to financial savings that are not only important 
to the member or the patient, but also to our plans, our providers, and our employers. Right. And one thing I'd like to point out uh, really quickly is that the key differentiator for us, how are we able to to achieve these best-in-class outcomes that Richard just very nicely laid out for us? The key differentiator is our human-led care approach. We use credentialed providers and technology together to address cardiometabolic conditions across the spectrum of care. We're able to connect our members with the right care from the right provider at the right time. That includes dietitians, certified diabetes care and education specialists, pharmacy, therapists, endocrinologists, PCP, everybody that we need on our integrated care team to achieve these outcomes. Our members receive a fully integrated experience, and that's really how we're able to achieve these outcomes. And I'm glad you both mentioned, you know, scalability and financial savings. So to, to close us off here, how can inclusivity drive better cost savings across diverse populations that we mentioned? So as I was, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of the outcomes that we track and report on translate directly into financial savings. And we've seen that financial savings across many different populations of individuals who come to VITA. We see those kinds of savings in rural populations where we've uh, demonstrated over $1,000 per member per year savings. Uh, food insecure populations, populations who self-report food insecurity, we've demonstrated over $4,000 per member per year savings. And for high utilizers, populations that have been to the hospital or the emergency room prior to arriving at, at VITA, they can save anywhere from $2,000 to $3,000 per member per year. And this kind of savings far exceeds the cost of the program. And so VITA is able to guarantee a return on investment to its clients and therefore make it much more sustainable, circling back to the points I made about disease management programs in the early 2000s. Most entities that pay for these kinds of health programs are seeking savings in, as well as improved quality and an improved member experience that are seeking savings that will ultimately pay for the program within the first year. And so the types of savings ranges that I just mentioned, the $2,000, $1,000, $4,000 per year, ultimately can deliver a return on investment to the client who's installing a VITA program. And as we think about the different populations, whether they are individuals of color, people who are struggling with access to healthcare, or just individuals who are seeking to have access to these management programs to help them manage their chronic disease. All of these populations are able to demonstrate meaningful clinical outcomes, a very high experiential uh, score with VITA. Our MPS is over 80 for our overall book of business and over 90 for individuals who choose Spanish as their primary language. And then finally, the opportunities to deliver savings to our clients. It ends up being the whole package. Sure, great to hear those savings, you know, across the board from, from food insecure, high utilizers, et cetera. Laura and Dr. Frank, thanks so much for your time and insights today. And thank you again to our podcast sponsor, Vita Health. You can tune into more episodes from Becker's Healthcare by visiting the podcast page on our website at beckershospitalreview.com slash podcast.